Hello and welcome to another episode of Cars of the Decade, Stevie Automotive's amazing, innovative podcast, which I made up. I'm Sean Smith, and I'm joined by almost my full set of co-hosts, Sam Green. Hello. Alistair Walker. Good time of day, everyone. And Christopher Strinkland. Hello. Uh, Monty, sadly, is not here because um, of seagull attacks in Jersey, so he's been calling by the, uh, the Jersey RAF to sort out the problem. Yeah, I've, yeah, I heard um, reports that the seagulls have started guerrilla warfare. Yeah, which is they're really pretty impressive, being seagulls. It is, I don't know, yeah, and they're currently um, occup- they're occupying his garden. Yeah, <laughs> so he, so Monty's uh, running around the garden, going um, just to try and <laughs> try and scare them away. Um, but that's okay because the podcast will carry on regardless. Uh, cars of cars of decades, Stable Automotive's history of the best cars ever made, uh, in our opinion, and basically nothing more than that. Uh, we we try and justify them, and uh, we go from there. So, Samantha, no, hang on, Al, you've got a car which Sam chose in the fifties, but uh, is back again for a second episode. Yeah, it's back for the sixties, right, and I will on, admit on. there's a egg timer. Carry on. <laughs> <laughs> I will admit there's a heavy amount of bias here because I think it's the only car on this list that I've actually owned, and it is. The Mini, again. (laughs) Yeah, so obviously released in 1959 on the road. I think it's most synonymous with racing in the 60s with Cooper. And just from then on, really. I think in the same way that on the road it managed to be the cheap, affordable car for everyone, it managed to do that for club-level motorsport in the UK. Is you wanted to enter touring car racing, Mini. You wanted to enter rallying, Mini. You wanted to do oval racing, Mini. Does there Even was... if you wanted to do endurance racing in some, some series, you could use the Mini as well. Yeah, I mean, it was... I think all the characteristics that made it a fun, enjoyable road car translated fantastically to... Especially a lot of the shorter tracks we have in the UK, places like Alton Park and Cadwell, they suit the minis fantastically well. And yeah, not so good places like Goodwood, but equally, it's even not bad when you watch. To be fair, yeah, when you watch them now, if you yeah, get over really top the ones we watch now aren't standard minis. I mean, granted, they weren't never got <laughs> no, into no, no, the no, minis, no, but be... they have been fettled. No, but say. to be to be fair. Although Swift Tune, which is basically the guy to make Nick Swift, is the guy to make you a, a mini engine nowadays. Although most of them have a, a Swift Tune engine, they are still homologated historic mini race cars. So they, there's not, there's only so much you can actually change. Yeah, and to be fair, it holds true of most historic race cars. Yeah. Uh, things like Goodwood that they're actually faster now than they were in period. Oh yeah. Most of them make far more power now than they did at the time. Yeah, because we have reliable petrol and probably better tyres as well, which help their lap Even if they're historic tyres, they're... Better tuning as well, as silly as it sounds. Yeah. But yeah, my vote for race car of the 60s goes for the Mini, and it goes beyond the 60s as well, because I think you go, again, especially through British motorsport, even once they'd faded from championships like the British Touring Cars, club-level saloon and club-level race championships were filled with minis. I mean, to this day, mm. 
to this day, yeah. you can go to Castle Coombe, Snetterton, and watch minis. There's mm. the Mini Miglia Championship, there's Mini Sevens, there's Mighty Minis, there's Super Mighty Minis. They were the go-to junior class for oval racing and autograss. They were just everywhere. Everyone's raced a mini. And that's where my bias comes in, because I've had two. You have had two. <laughs> um, and you crashed them. But Although that was sort of part of the course with the... Uh... Yeah, well, my defence, I was 14. Race, <laughs> 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 crashing a race car just kind of... I don't think there's a race driver alive that hasn't crashed a race car at some point. No, and if there kind is, of an inevitability. Not, I've crashed a go kart, which is sort of a race car. There you go. Yeah, if you're driving at the limit, at some point you're going to drive beyond the limit. Oh no! And I, just, it's going I, I just, to end ca- in I just crash. came out of the pits when Sam told me not to go flat out in icy conditions in turn one. And that's exactly what you did. <laughs> you're an idiot. <laughs> but yeah fun to drive and honestly one of the nice things about them is they were really simple to repair i mean the number of times i managed to fix whatever was wrong with it just by tapping it with a hammer yeah but that's just british laden all over for you <laughs> yeah. yes but it made them it made them easy for the amateur racer yeah, yeah it made it accessible for a club level mechanic you didn't have to be a superstar on the spanners just to make it work. No, because a Mini would just work anyway. Yeah, um, it only has like two or three more moving parts than an electric engine, an electric motor, so... And one of those is the steering wheel. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, no, I... It's a car I'd recommend to anyone, I think, because they were fantastic fun to race, and it's one I'd love to race again. I'd love to try them on circuit racing or out on a rally stage yeah i mean even as late as the 90s we had minis in rallying trying to do the monte carlo mm. of course it um, just it won the monte carlo rally it was so prolific at the monte carlo rally that it got banned really did it i'm fairly sure didn't they eventually ban it one year well, they they got bored of it winning, so they introduced a new rule that well, said that's, the car. That sounds a very French. very reminiscent of these days, like with Audi, for example, when they had the R race and the R ten, <laughs> they changed the rules basically to get other people to fight them. No, I'm fairly, I, yeah, I mean, I could be wrong, but I'm fairly sure that the the third year or something that they won it, they they conveniently brought in a new rule that said that you had to um, be a French car to win <laughs> or oh. something. St- Something really silly like that. So that sounds like something the Italians would do. Yeah. We may need some citation later on. This <laughs> possibly, possibly. It's, right. Even with, with its potentially being banned and stuff, it's you look at the list on Wikipedia, just on Wikipedia of the major races it's won in. Uh, you know, as Al said, it's it was a touring car, it was a rally I can, car. An I can tell you what it. I think what you're referring to, Sam, is in '66 the Mini was disqualified because. Um, they used variable resistance headlines, dimming circuit in places. Uh, in sorry, dimming circuits in place of dual filament lamps. So right. they basically used the wrong headlights and were disqualified. <laughs> wow! In fact, it wasn't. There wasn't the only car that was disqualified, but um, yeah. Basically, they disqualified everything that wasn't a French car, and then a Citroen DS1. Ah, conveniently, yeah. 
And it did have similar headlights, but because it was on a standard car, sorry, because it was standard equipment, they just went, oh, no, it's fine. <laughs> so wow. there you go. Well, what a reason to win a race <laughs> because you had the right headlights. Yeah. No, 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 no. No, the Citroen had the wrong headlights, but because it came out of the factory with those headlights, it was fine. Oh, my God. But because the main ones had came out of the factory with filament lamps, and they replaced them with these variable resistance lamps, because they'd done that, no, disqualified. Wow. So they weren't standard, basically, and that's why they... Pretty much, yeah. Yeah, but that's, no. that's nearly as bad as... Do you remember when the, the LMP2 podium sit place a couple of years ago had to drill a hole to hit a starter motor in the bodywork? That's almost a stupid reason to be disqualified. Mm. Yeah. Mm. I think we're escaping the point. Yeah, yeah. Yes. Right, <laughs> yeah, but as you say, the Mini, it was cheap, it was... Quicker, quick. It could be made quick. It was the road car was not quick. Um, I mean, to be fair, it's not like a mini weighs an awful lot. It does. You get a lot of bang for your buck with your engine tuning with a mini. It, that's true. Especially once you'd gotten to the point of drilling holes in just about every non-structural panel, so you could save weight. Which yeah, I have seen on, especially <laughs> some of the later rally cars. I think, like drilling around the door frame. Here is an interesting one for you. If you scroll down a little bit, it won its class at Le Mans. This is the six hours. This is the six hours, which is in Australia, but we'll gloss over that. What? <laughs> <laughs> where, where did that take place then? Um, I'm looking at it now, and it took place in, at Caversham Circuit in Western Australia All right. in 1965. But for some reason, it was called Le Mans. Um, <laughs> but I mean, yeah. the car did race at lots of other endurance races. It's oh, done yeah. club level endurance. To be honest, they were even running at things like the Nurburgring twenty four hours into the nineties. Mm. Yeah, because uh, it was a a cheap, reasonably or could be made reliable, easy to drive car. Yeah, it was. It was a perfect club level race car and. For how much it endured, I think that deserves it some recognition. Absolutely. And how much it continues to endure. I will agree with that, and I don't even like minis. Classic minis. You heathen. (laughs) Superb. Yeah, but you you own one. Yes, I know. I know. I'm glossing over that fact. I did get quite. When you look at the Wikipedia page, you scroll, and it says the, uh, the categories that it raced in. And then towards the bottom, it says Dakar Rally wins. I was like, yeah, what? but that's not the. But that's not the mini. I'm not <laughs> going to even try and claim that that's the mini because it's definitely it's not. About five Could you imagine if it was a 1960 70s <laughs> mini? Yeah, yeah. Came first in the 2012 Dakar. <laughs> to be fair, I think they probably. It, I don't know if certainly. It wouldn't surprise me if some were entered in the Dakar in the 60s I mean, and 70s. It wouldn't, yeah, it wouldn't be unsurprising, would someone it? Someone I mean, would have like tried it. Of course they would. I mean, someone tried it in a Rolls-Royce, so they probably would have tried it in a Mini, let's face it. Definitely. The, they probably have more more um, more comfort in the in the roller. Perhaps. I reckon it would be not quite nice to do the Dakar in a roller. Well, they've got a fridge, haven't they? Oh, no. Um... Oh, fuck. Oh no. oh, no, we're stuck. Let's get the the, the, the uh, champagne out of the fridge. Exactly, yeah. Oh, no, there's a bit of sand in the cockpit. Let me just brush that over here. There we go. <laughs> yeah, but that's okay, because the Mini would be so rusted that it could just come back out, go back out the hole it came in. Yeah. yeah. Let's move on. Mr. Strinkles, your, t- yes. your, your, your choice is a car that we've discussed before. 
Uh, We've discussed it actually a few times. Yeah, and it's a fantastic car, and I. Uh, it's a revolutionary car. I'm not, I'm not even going to like say bad things about it. So crack on. You can have. You can have. A yeah, little, no, you can so have eleven my, minutes. <laughs> I'm not going to have eleven minutes. So my car of the decade is the RA. Is the Honda RA two seven two, not the two seven one, the two seven two, which was first entered into the Formula World Championship back in the sixties, um, and I think it was a. This car, or the previous car, was driven by John Settis at one point. <clears throat> but it is... Hmm? Not this car. No, not this car. I don't think it was this one. No, it wasn't. But it, this is probably, in my opinion, one of the most beautiful Formula 1 cars that's ever existed. Because it is from that classic cigar-shaped Formula 1 car era. Um, straight pipes out the back. It's nice, low, light. And it just oozes elegance and class. And the simple paint scheme with it being a solid white paint with the, the Japanese um, emblem of the, the sun on the top is just, it just brings it out. It's just Imagine fantastic. seeing it in colour at the time. Yeah. It has it a touch of weirdness to it as well, to be fair. Why, the fact I'm... that it runs a V12 that's one and a half litres? <laughs> no, I was thinking more it's engine layout. The fact it's a transverse engine. Unless I'm looking at the sense. wrong. No, no, I can, no, I'm looking at the same thing you're looking at. It's eight. No, there's no way it's transverse. There's only one it's and a half. Definitely inches. not. It can't be transverse. I mean, it would only be a little engine, but he, that would yeah. be very, very little. We spoke about this uh, last time, Chris. Uh, just the idea of a 1.5 liter mm -hmm. V12, literally a, a bit smaller than a, a two liter diet coke or whatever, but a V12. <laughs> Well, yeah, it's the fact that it's a V12. So, bearing in mind, if we put it back into context, this thing was built in the 1960s, right? So, you're looking at tolerances that are ridiculous. Yeah. Ridiculous tolerances. And it revved to 14,000 RPM back in the 1960s, and it was a V12. How unimaginably ridiculous is that? Do you think this this comes from Honda's bikes, where they've been making two-stroke yeah, bike engines for so long, they just got so do. used to revving engines that high? I mean, that would also explain the fact it was a transversely mounted and, engine. And look, would, yeah. it, no, looking it would, at yeah. it, to be fair, it yeah. looking at the like the way the exhaust manifold is laid out, it actually does look like it could well be a transverse engine, which is yeah, very, it very up. It's on a strip. No, yeah. I've just done a little bit of research in the background here. It 100% is. Wow. You pick, yeah, that's just even more ridiculous. You pick the weirdest F1 car you could, Craig. Yeah, but it's beautiful. It's beautiful. It is. It is beautiful. Absolutely. You managed to pick a weird one, though. We'll come on to this, uh, yeah, with, my, we'll come to this with my car in a bit, but your car produces 230 horsepower, which, it, which yeah. doesn't sound like a lot. It was weighed at 500 kilos. So, ah, just, you know, everything about this car is just the more you think about it, the more you look into it, the more you think to yourself, how the, how did they do it back in the 1960s? How did they do it? How did anybody survive? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, how did any of them survive? I mean, prime example, well, no, the reason they survived is because for. Most of the races they ended in 1960, they retired. Yeah, I was about to say that. <laughs> yeah, so, I was going to say, you've also picked a car that wasn't particularly good. The most unreliable well, one they ever made. Yeah. Well, well I don't know. Mexico, though, in its fairness, it did win the Mexico Grand Prix. It did win yeah, the, the last round of the year at the, Mexico. The fourth race, it, so a quarter of the races it finished, it won. <laughs> yes. I mean, that's yeah. not 
a horrible statistic. Exactly. But equally, half the races it entered, it retired. <laughs> that yeah, is yeah. a horrible statistic. <laughs> we, can, we can gloss over that, though. <laughs> I mean, it's at least a better statistic than some of the cars Sean likes in the modern yeah, era. That's, that's true. That is true. Came sixth in the World Championship. <laughs> that's not bad. 11 points. That's more than many F1 drivers will score in their time. Yeah. Maybe not these days where it points down to 10th place and whatever, but... Um, yeah, so I think the... If anybody's watched the Goodwood, um, not the Revival, the Hill Climb, I think Jensen Button drove... I don't think it was the 272. I think it was the two... The RA300. Oh, sorry, the RA273, which was the... That's the 3-litre one, isn't it? It's the 3-litre one, which was the, yeah. the one that happened last year. Oh, sorry, the one that happened the year after, which was which was driven by John Surtees, who took yeah, it to first place in South Africa. Um, and I want to shake the... I know it's not the car that I'm talking about, but it leads on to the car, from the car that I was talking about, but whoever designed the exhaust manifold for both the RA272 and the RA273, I'd just like to shake their hand, because they're just pieces of art. The yeah. way that they come out of the back of the transversely mounted... Or the, in the case of like... the 3-litre, it was um, longitudinally, but for the 2-litre, for the 1.5, it was transversely mounted. It looks like but a bit of a the back massive of gun just... you find on battleships. It's all yeah. the it's all the equidistant pipes. It's like it is a work of art, isn't it? That kind yeah. of manifold just is brilliant. I mean, you wouldn't want to be running into the back of it, the speed. I don't no. think that would be your primary concern. Two seven three as well. Did it? Um, the exhaust on that's white. Was that a ceramic coating or anything, or was it must just? Have must have been. I can't think of any other reason why you'd paint it white other that's than gotta be, that's got to be pretty advanced. Yeah, but the... the 273 didn't win a race, so it's not as good. No, no, I'll give you that. But it's a very cool car nonetheless. Yeah. Both of them are very cool. It's a good choice. Uh, yeah. Uh, and, and, you know. Actually, to, to be was... fair to the 272, the 271 uh, only finished one race mm. that, it, that it tried to take part in. This is a massive improvement. Yeah, and, uh, <laughs> double. It's twice as. It's two hundred percent. But yeah, yeah. So there you go. Best Japanese car of the sixties, probably. Uh, no, the, the the best Japanese car of the sixties is my road selection for this year. But, oh, okay. We'll come um, to. So, that. Sorry for this decade. We'll come to that in another podcast. But yeah. you know, it's it it just gets me the the technology that was built into this car back in the nineteen sixties that. You know, that led on to you know for developments for Honda to take over and lead the the bike championships that they entered, and then it's just a shame that after the the next two consecutive cars that they just decided to bin it. Which, to be fair, as a V12 and with the results that we've seen across across the generation that this car was in, um, it wasn't it wasn't the best. So you can understand why they would bin it, but at the same time, you can just want. It's worth noting to too continue. that Honda, although they were obviously a big company, they weren't anything like they are today in terms of their enormity. Um, no. So anything that they were, all the all these quite pioneering and uh, to the limit technologies they they were having, way more impressive as as a relatively small company for them to to be doing. And again, this is European racing. They were when did they start making cars? Career would have been probably after the war, wouldn't it? Honda, I think it was in the mid mid to early fifties, I would say. Because, if I had to guess, because they were a bike manufacturer for ages, and then they 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 went to to cars eventually as Japan started to rebuild. So they couldn't have been doing this for very long. before no. before they go for 
you know, I, think it, it, I think it helps that um, I can't remember the chap's first name, but Honda, the the bloke who started the company, yeah. it helped that he was a racer. Yeah, as we talked about with um, your, think, your old car. Yeah, I was going to say we've spoken it uh, before on a previous podcast how that you know he nearly killed himself in a car. So um, you've got to give him credit to think to himself, no, I'm going to get, I'm going to do this properly, get it done right. Mm. Uh, and and to be fair, albeit it wasn't the most successful, it was definitely the from an iconic point of view in my opinion it's definitely the one that it's an put, iconic honda if you think there. if you think course, yeah. classic honda honda f1 cars this sort of thing that these these cars all well, come in. Got much to go off yeah like actual honda f1 cars you've either got 2006 2007 or 2008 or the 1960s well i don't know you have the, B, the, other car- you have the bars no 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 hondas not not anything else <laughs> all right Except that no one remembers them as VARs. They always call them Hondas. <laughs> yeah. I, I think it's a good choice, Chris. Well done. Yeah, thank you. I think it's a good choice as well. It's certainly one of your better choices. <laughs> 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 fair, I'm keeping with the opinion. I'm keeping with the um, the theme of very small number of um, cars produced. Yeah. Because yeah. there would have only have ever been two of them. Probably. Yeah, maybe three. two or three. There won't have been many, won't there? Was wasn't no. any customer teams for these ones? <laughs> yeah, no, can no. you imagine a customer <laughs> team? Just like shipping out V12s like out of the world. No, I can't see that happening. <laughs> yeah, the the concept of this would only have worked with a factory team, wouldn't it? Let's yeah, say. definitely. Um, I that. It would have been interesting if a privateer did get their hands on one. What would they have? What would have happened to it? Well, they would have ripped the engine out. Yeah. That would have been the first thing I would have done. Yeah. Turn the engine out and put a normal V8 in it. Probably a, probably, yeah. a DF, DR, is DFT? No, not DFT. DFV Cosworth. DFV, thank you. Yeah, yeah well, that would have been the three liters, so that would have come on. Well, actually, no, they, we're they, skipping they, ahead for that. That's Monty's choice. Yeah, we, we, yeah, yeah, we'll come to that. We, later we, we still had to get rid of the best car of the '60s before then. My one? No, you just said no. You haven't done yours, but no. I keep, I keep thinking you're the mini because you're odd, um, but. Okay, Chris, Chris, you got like 20 seconds left. Do you want any, any closing statement? No, it's fine. Cool. I just think it's the best race car from that era. I don't care what anybody says about the Lutra, the Lotus and the Cooper. This is the best car, even if it was unsuccessful. Well, it's not the best car because now my, now it's my turn. No, it definitely was the best car. No, it's not. Because definitely if was. you want 60s icon beauty, it's the Ferrari 156 Shark Nose. It's really mm. not. End of story. I End wouldn't of podcast. go for beautiful. What? That's... The shark nose is gorgeous. I've got a model of it. I've got two models of it. Yes, but it's been well established through multiple podcasts <laughs> that you have no taste. What? You're mad. Do you know what the problem is with a 156? And I'm sorry because you've not offended my car, but I am going to offend your car. It's got the wrong proportions. <laughs> what do you mean it's got the wrong proportions? I just, it, it, it just looks wrong. Okay. Because of the way, because it looks fifty-fifty, it just looks kind of wrong. It reminds me a bit of an Italian riverboat. <laughs> yeah, yeah. No, I can see what you mean yeah, with that. How long have you been well, lining up these these uh the, these sort of jibes at me for the for this, this one? I put this on the, the, this months ago, and you got it right. Let's go. Here we go. This, <laughs> let's have some. Uh... It looks like it looks like an F two car. I mean, most it is cars an F two car, but like they all are. <laughs> I mean, yeah, to be fair... Honda much... wasn't. No, but that's only because they couldn't make enough of them. Yeah. <laughs> and because it probably wouldn't meet F2 regulations with a V12. No, I think it top. probably would have done, to be fair. Would it? Yeah. I have no idea. Well, anyway, the shark knows. Best looking car ever. Let's actually go into some details. It's, it's really not. It really is. So, 
This car was obviously red, so it's 10% faster. Uh, unlike Chris's pitiful one win, the, <laughs> the uh, 156 got seven. Seven wins. Seven poles. Seven fastest laps in 29 races, but shush. Um, it was, it, again, it was red. It was excellent. It only had about 200 horsepower, which isn't as much as the Honda. I was going to say, my Honda had 230, although it did wear five, um, yeah, and you about had, 500 kilos. And your car's four, four or five years younger, so they had that much more time to extract some power. Um, <laughs> which I, I was going to make a joke about Ferrari saying uh, bad chassis, good engines, but it, it's not really a very good engine. Um, it was a, <laughs> At the time, it was a uh, Ferrari Type 178, 1.5 litre, 120 degree V6, two valves per cylinder. Mid-engined, obviously. Um, Matched to a five-speed gearbox, which is one less than Creed's car. Yours had a six-speed. It did, yeah. Unique in everywhere. Yeah, that's probably why it broke so often. Uh, no, I think it was having problems with the engine timing. I think it was the main problem. Well, it had too many cylinders. So that's the V6. Is that related to the Dino engines? It, it is, is, yeah. yeah it's, it's named it. after my car. So it's for a start of the season with a 65-degree Dino engine. Uh, then replaced by a new with a V angle, 120 degree design. So yeah, the uh, the car started. It was a V6. That was more what we would expect. It's still it's still the idea of a 1.5 to V6 is pretty nuts in today's world. Yeah, I mean but, uh, Cooper and, and sort of Lotus and a lot of the British teams were using a four cylinder, weren't they? Yeah. Um, it was basically the Cooper Climax engine, a 1.5 four cylinder. But that's, I, I quite like the fact that you could basically pick, as long as it was the right capacity, you could basically put whatever engine you like in it. Well, it's like Le Mans um, was a couple of years ago. Yeah. Um, but no, this I car... do like those, but I actually think the... I know it's a bit later, but I quite like the, the in inverted commas, aero as well. Well, that's, where, that's, normal. Where, the, that's where the car gets interesting, because with some of these cars that we've discussed on the podcast, they obviously have longevity, not necessarily as much as the Mini, but for an F1 t- one car... Four years, which is how long this car was racing for, from 1961, where it won the championship, uh, through 1962, 63, 64, where it won its last race at Austria, which, yeah, I mean, for a four-year-old car winning with Lorenzo, uh, Lorenzo Bandini, that's a pretty good going. I think this was a time yeah. when Ferrari sort of would uh, pick and choose their chassis uh, between the 156 and the uh, the car came after, which I've forgotten the name of, uh, the 158. Uh, depending on track to track, but it just showed that it was fundamentally a very good car, and it, and like like we'll see with many Lotuses going into the sixties and seventies, it was a uh, it was quite it was quite versatile for an F one car. Mm. Used for a long time, and like that's that was the um, the stability of the regulations meant that it could still compete. It did, wasn't outdated as soon as it had finished the first race. No, um, and I mean you you look at some of the names that drove these cars yeah. across four years as well. And you go, oh, that's impressive. I won two Constructors World Championships. Um, admittedly, one of them was with Nart rather than... Yeah, and, al- and also the 156 only had one race to- <laughs> in, the- in that championship to yeah. with the NART team to get that, that result. Uh, John Surtees was running the newer car for most of it. Well, all of his that season, but mm. we'll gloss over that. <laughs> but no, as you say, the the big names, so, you know, you have John Surtees, obviously, you have Phil Hill, uh, you have Wolfgang von Trips, who sadly, of course, did die in a crash 
1961. Um, you had who else? Who else? Uh, Pedro Gian- Rodriguez. Pedro Rodriguez. Oh, yeah. Yep, Giancarlo Baghetti, Lorenzo Bandini. You know, these are big names from the 60s, all driving for Ferrari um, with this car, which, you know, whether you like it or not, you can't not say it's iconic. Oh, absolutely. True, it is an iconic F1 car. I mean, it's an ugly F1 car, it's but not it's an ugly. iconic F1 car. <laughs> it's absolutely not ugly. It's cool. Reminds me of that Williams from the 2000s. <laughs> what? The, the, um, uh, the dorm of the... I don't know what, what it was called. The Tusk. The Taurus, that's the one, yeah. Yes. Well, well no, because it it's the opposite of that, surely. It's got one pointy nose. It's got nostrils instead. Exactly, it's got yeah. angry nostrils going, grrr. I'm going to beat you. In Italian, obviously. Why is it called the shark nose? It's just because it's pointy. Yeah, basically. <laughs> at the time, of course, you had, you know, like uh, Cruise Honda, uh, you had basically the cut-off cigar shape. Uh, so it was a sort of one, one airbox oh, at yeah. the front. In, in, in terms of that, yeah, it was, it was very much a, a completely radical, different design from what everybody else was using. And then they sort of fell back towards that more conventional design with the later models. Yeah, but I think that was um, it was probably due to cooling because you can see the 156 is a taller, uh, it is, yeah, it's bul- a more, more bulbous sports. car than the Aero car mm. that came after it. And then obviously the 158 that came after that, you can see it's much more uh, vacuum formed, I suppose. The 158 is one of the best-looking Formula 1 cars ever, I think. But yeah. it's just so of its period. It's nowhere near it No, but the, the, the shark nose is completely different, and you don't necessarily think of the way that that looks as as the 60s, if that makes sense. Yeah. Um, it's more unique. I suppose it was, yes, yeah. Do you think of that longer cigar sort of shape as as the sixties? You don't necessarily think of the sharp nose, um, but it's a good looking car. You changed changed your mind now, have you? Well, it's an all right. One thing that's just just, just interesting about the sixties cars: Cree's car had a monocoque. Uh, this one had a tubeless space frame, which showed again sort of the transition of technology in F one at the time uh, mm. between the different engines, the different. Well, I mean, the tires were still. Uh, What's the word for them? They they weren't slicks. Grooved. Uh, no, they were still grooved, yeah. grooved almost nineteen forties tires. Yeah, so they were skinny tires, weren't they? Or as Mich- Michelin oh. would call them the all weather tire. <laughs> yeah, yeah. They were um, so they still had that. They still had. The Ferrari obviously had the tubular space frame. This is sort of like MotoGP nowadays when you have the carbon frames versus the uh, aluminium space frames, which which Ducati still use. Um, but this is obviously what fifty years beforehand with the cars because cars are that much more ahead of the time um different yeah different gearboxes you had different engines you had different configurations of the uh of the angle of the engine it's it's very it's obviously it's a very interesting period i can only imagine what it was like to sort of be at a racetrack at that time with all the different sounds you'd have heard from the different cars yeah you yeah that is um the key thing there isn't it because the the engine formula was left open you could basically have anything you could have the super high revving honda and then the v6 ferrari side by side on circuit with the the uh, lotuses and the coopers yeah. and all the others that's at that time uh no apart from the fact is it was it was quite long-lived it won it won two championships seven races 
very good, very good car. Just and also, in my opinion, one of the best looking cars of all time. I've not got much more to say. It was, it's my car of the sixties because it is, it's defi It's when you think of Ferrari sixties car, in my opinion, that's the one that comes to mind. Um, yeah, I think to the to people who know about Formula One, it certainly would be. If you said for a sixties Ferrari Formula One, that's the one you think of, isn't it? Yeah. So there you go. That's uh, yeah. So I so I win, yeah. Well, uh, no. <laughs> no, I definitely don't. Fair enough. Um, let's talk about Monty's choice because okay, we've is, spoken about them because his is the the third in our F one trio. Uh, hang on, yes, I'm... we've had quite a lot of F one cars in this one because I don't think we have for a couple of um, well, episodes. F one didn't really exist until well, obviously it didn't exist until the fifties. Well, it and didn't. Then, and then we have yeah, uh, yeah but let's let's talk about it. The Lotus Forty Nine. Which, you know, my car was successful. This thing just took the piss. Uh, <laughs> so the Lotus Forty Nine. Um, we'll just get the stats out of the way straight away. Forty-two races, twelve wins, twenty-three podiums, nineteen pole positions, thirteen fastest laps, two two drivers and constructors championships uh, at the end of the sixties and the big turn of the decade into the seventies. Uh, big names, of course: Jim Clark, Graham Hill, uh, Mario Andretti. Yeah, oh, who else? <laughs> yeah. I'd also say probably this is the one when you think of F1 in the 60s, it is the 60s the F1 car. From a British perspective, yeah, yeah definitely. No, well, I mean, just from generally. you think of F1 in the 60s, it is the poster car, I'd say. No, oh, okay. if the, the late 60s, yeah, I'd, I'd, I'd agree with that. Early 60s, Certainly, I'd think I'll... the Ferrari, but sure. I don't know. I think the layman would probably think of basically this car. They probably would. Yeah, it's um, like you'd have this car, and then you'd have the seventy-two. That's seventies, or whatever. The, what was the one that Mario Andretti took to uh, World Championship in the seventies? Yeah, yeah, that was yeah, the that's, 70, that's 70, yeah. 72 and seventy-three. That car. Yeah, so you'd have for the sixties, everyone would think of this forty-nine. Then you'd have the seventy-two for everyone who thinks of the seventies, and then yeah. you could just go like that with generations. But the forty-nine. I mean, straight away you can see where the engine formula has changed uh, through the decade because this produces 420 to 440 horsepower. It weighs the set, but it weighs the same as the Honda that Cree was yeah. chosen. This is this is an absolute yeah. monster. Two kilos heavier, and it's got a three liter V8, twice the power. Madness. Even that though, even this revs to 10,000 RPM. Yeah, it's also the car that introduced us to. A key part of motorsport and getting these cars to the grid now, which is commercial sponsorship. Absolutely. Yeah. Whether we course. think this is a good thing or a bad thing, it did first appear in F1 on the Lotus 49. Yep, the Gold Leaf Lotus. It was, um, yeah, the first car to have a sponsor livery, wasn't it? Mm. If I uh, can yeah, Before then, we'd all been running in national team colours. So Basically, the green yeah. of the Lotus, the red of yeah. the Ferrari, and the white and red of um, Cree's Honda. Blue, blue mm. of Cooper, of course, and similar sort of things. I'm just going to read Monty's statement on this car. I'm not going to do his accent because I'll, I'll get slated. Uh, <laughs> Lotus 49. It perfected monocoque technology with an engine designed with this in mind. The engine itself would go on to win for 16 years, creating a very affordable Formula 1 series. The car won for four years in a row and was the perfect balance of power and chassis. It was arguably one of Chapman's safer Lotuses. Uh, is uh, is what Monty has to say about it. Yeah. Um, 
uh, safer with with a Lotus is not necessarily the uh, the prime directive, shall we say? No, back, back then. It was also one of the first cars to use aerodynamics, though, as well, wasn't it? Yeah. Didn't the was it the didn't a guillotine wing fail on Graham Hill going through down one of the Monza streets? Probably. Yes. This is where the wing came off of the car, and then they bat- that was the the really spindly tall wings. So this is the way. Then, yeah. they, then they got forced to be low, didn't they? And then yeah, yeah I think that no, was... you can't do that anymore. You have to bolt it to the chassis instead now. Um, yeah, I think it was one of the variations of the forty nine B. Yes. I think had that yeah. wing. And obviously, this is at the point as well where when they went to somewhere like Monza, sometimes they would just go, ah, we'll just take the wing off <laughs> as well. It was kind of in that early days of aerodynamics where it wasn't mandated yet um, how big or how small or how if you had to run the wings. It was just, it's going to help us go quicker at some circuits, so we'll put it on. Other circuits less so, so we'll take it off. Um, so places like the old Hockenheim as well, they would run no wings. Um uh, I know uh, that classic Jim Clark photos of him sliding around at Silverstone as well. Similar sort of thing. No wings on the car there because it was a big, fast circuit. And you go somewhere where you actually need some downforce and they put the big wings on to have, try and help. But you get those. It was just a very good car, really. I mean, they, didn't they take it to IndyCar, basically, as well? Yeah, I think there was a modified version run at Indy, yeah. Yeah, I think it was the um, the thirty eight. It was basically the same car. Um, as we said, the FV engine can't really go wrong with that. Let's face it. You look, again, we look at the names: Jim Clark, Graham Hill, Andretti, Jochen Rint, Fittipaldi. Um, yeah, just a very very good. I'm going to jump in here because the reason i've been quiet is because i've been counting how many retirements this car had just through the 60s i'm counting about 50 but they did do a lot more races (laughs) there were a lot more cars to to its credit yeah um but even for let's say the cars were a lot more fragile back then they were literally built to you know well not nanometers but millimeter precision with their weights and being literally as light as possible to go as fast as possible because cornering was becoming more and more of a the domineering factor um, in mm. the sport. Uh, they were built fragile because they were built light. and But, but the, the rules are only, especially Lotus, were only made to do the length of the race. And any longer than that, they would have broken. Yeah. So that's if they didn't break before. Um, and of course, this but... was 60s technologies. So it, the parts just naturally were not necessarily as strong as they would have been today. No, exactly. But it's, it's a very, very cool car. It's the car I think of when you think of like that three liter formula. That is the one you think of, in my opinion. Hmm. It's, it's a very, yeah. very pretty car. Anything more to add? I think it is, and I think it probably leads us nicely on to Sam's choice with well, its engine. That's the thing, because Monty, of course, doesn't know how to make a cho- make his mind up. Uh, so, <laughs> so he decided. I, I've, let's see. We 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 agreed to go on the Lotus Forty Nine as his car, but he wants to have a very honourable mention to its engine supplier, which we are going to go on to with. It's of course Ford. Uh, in yeah. Monty's words, uh, blah 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 blah. 
blah, 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 blah. Um, I meant anything Ford. Uh, Ford DFV, Cortina, and touring cars, and rallying. GT40, Le Mans. To me, the 60s was all about Ford. So, shall we go to Sam for the last car yeah. of the 60s race cars? Now, this is clearly the winner of this nope. episode. Wrong. Um, <laughs> it's the Ford GT40. Yeah, um, I'd have a hard time arguing against it because I think it probably is one of Ford's greatest success stories in yeah. motorsport. I mean, I've I've more specifically kind of chosen the Mark II because that was the one that won at Le Mans. But the the, the all of the GT40 variants throughout the 60s were highly successful. Very very good looking cars. I thought the first one was like a death trap. Well, the first one was arguably the prettiest, I think. Um, and then after that, they got a bit more function over form. Um, but, uh, yeah, obviously designed um, in mostly in the UK, the Mark 1. And then the Mark 2 was more heavily done by Shelby and run by Shelby. Do you want to tell, uh, the, do you want to tell the story for those who might be new to racing? Because it is the famous story of Ford yeah, and I mean, Ferrari. Yes, I mean, almost certainly a lot of people would have seen the film now as well, Le Mans 66, that goes along with it. But essentially Ford tried to buy a Ferrari because they wanted to win at Le Mans and wanted to have a sports car division. Uh, and Ferrari decided at the very last minute not to do that and to go with Fiat instead because it would give them more... Uh, control over the races, basically. Well, I think the Fiat deal actually came slightly later in the end, didn't it? Not much later. Um, no, it wasn't a huge amount later, I don't think. But uh, but basically, I, I think, think Ferrari were... As we saw, we've seen with Ferrari over the last 50 years since, Fiat basically said, here's the money to do what you need to do. Go and do it. Yeah. Ford, Whereas Ford... Again, this is, this is from a very um, outside perspective, because, of course, we, we're not involved with Ford's upper echelons, especially in the 60s, because even I wasn't born then. Uh, <laughs> but, yeah, it, it, it from what his history tells us, Ford would have been more um, overarching, shall we say. Yeah, they would have wanted yeah. more control over their investment. Yes. yes. Yeah. Anyway, um, which Which led to a bit of a falling out between Henry Ford the third, I'm pretty sure it would have been the third I by that point. I think second. Um, uh, second. Uh, and um, Enzo Ferrari, which led to a bit of an arms race going to Le Mans, and Ford basically decided we want to beat Ferrari, and we're going to do whatever it takes to do that, which they did eventually. Um, yeah, it's probably the only race car in history ever built almost entirely out of spite. Yes, yeah. <laughs> um, it, it, it really was that, because of course Le Mans, as people obviously think of Formula 1 and Ferrari, because that's where they started the championship, but Le Mans to Enzo was very important. It was it was yeah, nearly everything for Enzo. It was the main thing and he basically only built road cars so he could go to Le Mans. Yeah. And fund, fund his racing in in sports cars and at Formula 1 of course as well but that came sort of behind the sports cars really. Um it's uh started life with a DFV engine built obviously by Cosworth in the UK. It was made in Slough, um, only 31 of them, uh, and that was the road, in inverted commas, version for the homologation, because it was technically, it was a GT car, hence the name, 
Um, so they had to make some versions of it. Um, it was just a very cool car. It was very, very, very different to what Ford had done before. Let's face it. It was the first mid-engined Ford. Um, well, I think this is a big part of what Ford were having at the time. Is I think another part of the reason they wanted Ferrari is they wanted to break their their image from the fifties of being well, just dull. In other words, yeah, I think I think there's a quote somewhere that says basically Ford wanted to stop being the car your dad drove. Well, essentially, it's what Toyota have done recently. When the, you know when they when they got rid of the Supra, the MR2, the Celica, all their fun cars, and they got the image of being, you know, the They're boring, the, the boring, the, the boring, yeah, the boring company, and then yeah. their new president came um, over and went, "We're going racing. We're we're building Supras. We're building what GT86. It's it's the same thing, um, but fifty years ago again. Yeah, yeah. But Ford decided initially that they were going to do it by buying the fun company, yeah, <laughs> which didn't obviously work. Um. But yeah, they got the car working. Um, the uh, the Mark II, which is the one that eventually won Le Mans three times, that had a seven-litre Ford Galaxy NASCAR engine, um, which they'd obviously had to modify so it would run properly uh, for things like Le Mans. But it would do 200 mile an hour. In the 60s. In the 60s. It's madness. Um Ken Miles, obviously one of the legendary test driver of it, and sadly died testing a later car. But um, but among his, even the other drivers, Chris Amon, Bruce McLaren, Denny Holm, these are all Formula One drivers and world champions, um, and and they're racing for Ford. It won at Daytona. It won at Le Mans. Um, it's just a very very good sports car. Yeah, it was very much Ford showing their determination. They were going to win the race no matter what it took. They were going mm. to get the best of everything they could to yeah. win. They it's... basically opened a checkbook and left it blank. Yeah, which they don't tend to do these days. No. Is this well, Ford's... it's how they won their most recent Lamar, I'd say. But... Well, well, yeah, that's true. <laughs> Essentially pulling the same trick where they made about three road cars and then took it racing. My, my hatred of the Ford GT, um, late, the car quote unquote current one is is well well documented um for exactly that reason <laughs> um is this ford's greatest achievement in motorsport well i'd say so definitely outside of i mean there's obviously going to be some people that say they've done more in nascar it's like yes but that's not more it's not really global um yeah and i'd say the global GT... motorsport it definitely is yeah, and I'd say the GT40 is more recognised than their achievements in rallying. Because Ford have great achievements in rallying, including oh, God, yeah. the 60s with the Escort. But I think the GT40 is perhaps more recognised than those are. It's their biggest success. It's not necessarily their, their best success. Is it the to, most famous? Uh, it's yes. definitely the most famous, yeah. And, I mean, there's nothing quite as iconic. If you think of, again, Le Mans in the 60s... There's a very good chance you think of a golf-coloured GT40. Cree, you've been very quiet. I'm just listening to your conversation more than anything. There's not really much for me to add more than what you're saying. Fair enough. Carry but on. The, um, <laughs> the Mark One GT40 in golf colours, I think, is one of the iconic sports cars of this era, let's face it. Yeah, because it's a car that people 
copy and pay homage to to this day. Of course, kit cars of the four GT forty hugely. Um, well, seen. even in people um, copying its livery, and even I mean, it's a bit of a cheat because it was Ford themselves, but their numbering of their cars when <laughs> they most recently returned to Le Mans being their four winning years from the 60s. As a massive yeah. you know, two fingers to Ferrari again. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I mean, essentially what we saw more recently was Ford trying to repeat this, which was them going after Ferrari. Yeah. See, the only, that's the reason I chose, one of the reasons I chose the Shark Nose over the 330, the P4, the P3, just because... I knew that someone would pick the Ford GT40 and go, yeah, but we won. Yeah, because to be honest, here's the thing. <laughs> Ford didn't just beat Ferrari at Lamar. As far as Lamar and the overall winning is concerned, Ford destroyed Ferrari. Oh, Ferrari never yeah. won again. Yeah. I mean, they've had class wins in GT in recent years, but Not the same after the first win of the Ford GT40, which was Sam um, 19... Um, no, 66, no, 66, wasn't it? It was 66. Yeah. So after 1965, Ferrari have never won the top class of Lamar. Mm. Ford absolutely destroyed them. Yeah. Yeah, they got even worse when Ford then left because Porsche then came along. <laughs> yeah. Yes. In another golf color car. Yeah. That's the that's the, that's the that's the problem I had is that as beautiful as the P4 and the P3 are and the 312P, they're stunning cars. They're stunning cars, but. They're losers. So they They're remembered yeah. for being second. Yeah. So I, I couldn't. That's why I couldn't do it. As much as I yeah. wanted to, because I love the P4. <laughs> I love. The, oh, the, I. The I agree there. Now that is a Ferrari. I would agree is a beautiful car. Yeah. The but the GT40 was better. The 312P. Yeah, they're all beautiful. Um, way better looking than the 4 GT, in my opinion. Oh God, yeah. Um, <laughs> but that, yeah. <laughs> Comparing but, the two is not is like chalk and cheese, isn't it? <laughs> but again, they're losers. <laughs> yeah, the, of the 2016 cars, I think the Ferrari SF16 is is a gorgeous car. It didn't win a single fucking race, but <laughs> but it was great. It looked great. I mean, this is fairly common of your choices in motorsport. Though. <laughs> I mean, yeah, this is a recurring theme. I think. <laughs> We call it the Sean effect. Well, yeah, but I'm, I'm the reason that Braun won the World Championship and the Rebel RB5, the best-looking car ever made, Cree, apart from the F10. Um, that's the reason it lost, is because I liked it. <laughs> do you um, want to know how much? Do you want to know how much a 1966 GT40 is worth now? I would love to. It's a worth million pounds. Seven point six million pounds. Wow. For an, what for an actually was, an actual winning chassis? That was, or that was, well, no, that was the car that came third oh in '66. So I was going to say the winners won. must be in Ford's museum or something. Yeah, oh god, yeah, that's not coming off sale anytime soon, is it? Let's face it. Unless Ford go very bankrupt. Yeah, yeah. I mean, even I when that happened, problems. I don't think they sold it. <laughs> yeah, fair point. Ten years ago, fifteen years ago, yeah. Well. That's it. That's the sixties is for me is when cars get in much more interesting. Uh, you start yeah. seeing a lot more. Um, but obviously, the speeds increase massively over the cars of the fifties and the forties because mm. you know the war's over, the economies are starting to rebuild, technology is being pushed forward in peacetime, um, and basically from now on, you know, with our road cars especially, you see a huge 
um, leap forward. Um, and we'll see in the 70s, 80s, 90s, of course, we'll see that that development starts to really become more um, applicable to today's cars, for example. And as you say, racing, we always say racing is the, the thing that pushes uh, technology forward in the in the automotive sector. And I think these five, all five of these cars have their own story to tell, as, we, as we've uh, as we've mentioned. Absolutely. And I think is this is the Ford GT other than the land speed record cars we had very early on in this series. Um, is this powerful. the two hundred? Is it the first two hundred mile an hour car we've had? Uh, no, maybe, we've no, had land speed record cars. Maybe yeah. No, he said Union, other than those. The um, Auto Union. Do we have the Auto Union? Maybe the Auto Union. Yeah. How that fast maybe. did the three hundred SLR and the D Type go? Because they weren't have been that far well. off. They've been eighty six, maybe ninety. I think they were they, close, but I don't yeah, know. Yeah, they they weren't very far off too high. Because that's... I don't want to talk for too long, because I know we're near the end of our podcast. Mm. That's a big thing with motorsport from this point onwards. Is top speeds don't really change faster, that no. much at the top of motorsport. No. But it is about as fast as we ever gone. I, well, mean, yeah, I mean, the speed would... record for Le Mans, for instance, was okay set in the 80s, but it, the majority of cars didn't go much faster. What what makes us faster from this point on it's cornering and is yeah it's our tires it's our chassis it's our end it's our downfalls rather than this was literally the turning brain point over of racing. Brawn. yeah it's brain over brawn after this um yeah this really is the the sort of the modern day turning point for racing cars is the end of the sort of, well we see it at the end of the 60s with the lotus 49 when it starts to bring in aerodynamics the 4gt yeah. of course with its chassis the huge amount of work that went into that car to turn it into a car that could be Ferrari um, even the 156 is a different philosophy in aerodynamics, you're seeing how the air is being sucked in differently to just a, a normal mouth uh, and Honda of course who are pushing forward with, with those different, with just the new technologies in, in the engine side, in the chassis side you're seeing monocoque chassis um, and the Mini had a longitudinal engine I had a transverse engine. Transverse <laughs> engine, whatever, same thing. <laughs> the awesome. Mini was just good. Yeah. Um, but no, as we say, the 60s was literally the turning point uh, to the modern day standards in many regards. Yeah, and we're now going to, in our next few podcasts, we're going to see some colossal leaps in technology between and our picks. The biggest, some of the biggest names of cars ever we're going, we're going to be covering. We're so. getting to that point, aren't we? Yeah, especially Chris's so, yeah. car, car of the next one. But that's uh, that's that's for next time. Um, thank you all three of you to, uh, for joining Monty I hope you've uh, enjoyed your fight with the seagulls so uh, let us know if you survived but in the meantime Chris, Sam and Al thank you for joining me thank you no problem thank you very much and uh, we shall catch you next time take care and goodbye bye <laughs>